You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. with the long throw Cork waiting on the edge of the six yard area and Dean scores so uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Foot podcast uh, I am joined by a Premier League legend on this episode a Sheffield United and Leeds great and the Premier League's first ever goal scorer welcome to the show Brian Dean are you doing all right Good man, good man. Thank you so much for good doing man. this. So the the first question I have for you is, uh, I know you're the chairman of Phoenix Sports and Media Company. Um, yeah. what, was, what was the inspiration to start the business and how different is the game in terms of how players are treated from when you started playing? Well, yeah, I mean, we were essentially kind of the first generation of um, Sky. So there's a, there's a different, there was a big influx of... Um, of, of money to, uh, you know, clubs were given bigger budgets because of the uh, Sky deal. And, of course, wages went up, everything went up in and around um, football, and, you know, we benefited. And, of course, as soon as we benefited, um, you know, obviously people were advising the agents, all of their fees started going up. And, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people saw that as an opportunity um, to exploit the situation. And, you know, there were a lot of rogue agents around in those days, um, rogue advisors and so on. And, um, you know, here we are kind of 30 years later and, and there's been a lot of, um, a lot of players have found things difficult moving forward. Um, you know, certainly we all have our own experiences and I don't think there's anybody out there um, in football who doesn't get touched at some point with, um, you know, some of the issues that come with being around people who would like to exploit or financially groom sports people. Uh, it's very prevalent in the States and in and, and over in North America. So it's the same everywhere. Um, so what, Essentially, Phoenix Sports and Media Group is set up by myself and we have a number of other co-founders who are high-profile uh, players from that era. And, um, you know, we, we a lot of what we do, our, our passion really is about some of the gaps that were left when we were, um, when we were coming through our careers. And, and that includes things like, um, you know, when you finish, how do you transition, what skills... Have you got to actually transition out of sport? You know, what transferable sp- skills you actually do possess? Um, you know, for example, um, you know, I went into management and, you know, what you find is over those, over the years of playing football, you do actually, um, you do actually acquire a lot of instinct. Um, now, how do you trans- convert that into usable skills after the game? 
Um, so we, we do myself, I'm on a, a, a CEO in sports course. Um, you know, there's other people who have different passions that might revolve around mentoring. You know, we have a, we have a training company that puts on short courses to, um, uh, the alumni of um, teams um, in, in, for example, the Premier League, you know, short courses on money management, social media, um, you know, equality and diversity. And, and, and essentially, you know, we deliver and help deliver those courses ourselves through our experiences. Um, we're, we've just launched a mini NBA which, um, again, is useful in terms of a taste of the MBAs in leadership. And um, what, it, what it does is it introduces you to, the, um, to, to, to let you understand how essential it is to, to actually start thinking about your network before you leave the game. Um, but also it's, it's designed to give you the tools to understand what it's like to be in the boardroom, you know, and working at those kind of levels because unfortunately a lot of people just see people like myself as footballers. They don't see what we actually have <laughs> as um, useful in, in, in business. And, you know, in, in many ways we're, we're actually, you know, my, my time as a manager and, and the football as well, I'm, a, I'm an expert in crisis management. We become experts in crisis management for a number of reasons. Um, one of those reasons is, for example, if you have two defeats in, in a row, you then have to think about how you can change the dynamic to get a result. Um, you know, and you can apply that in different ways. You know, there, there's everything you can do within football is transferable. It's just the way how you think about how it's delivered. So, um, you know, these are all things that we're passionate about. We're all still very young men. I mean, I'm 50, God, I'm 52, 53 yeah. shortly. <laughs> Whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, but no, it, it's serious. You know, people tend to um, dismiss the, the value of sports people. Um, and, and we kind of, you know, we need to, we need to kind of readjust that. And, and it's also, uh, Speedix Sports and Media is also about making sure that players in the game now um, have those skills, but also they can become accountable to themselves. You know, because all of these things are, are very important. We've all heard the um, stories about, you know, all the black, you, you know, I remember all when I was growing up, you know, you'd hear stories about boxers having the big entourage and then afterwards, Nothing. You know, when, when, you know, when they've been, you know, when the career's over, there's nobody about, and, it, and it's no different when the back slappers actually disappear, you've got to, you've got to do things for yourself. So we want to avoid that because, um, it's a big push at the moment to solving, um, uh, health and wellbeing issues. And, and some of those are brought on by some of these issues that we actually talk about when, you haven't got the adulation anymore. Um, and you know, there's, you know, the whole dynamic of your actual sort of like network changes. So, so just, just for yourself, like obviously when uh, you were coming through and, and all that kind of stuff, was education a part of becoming a footballer or, or were the clubs just focus on you becoming a footballer? Because obviously in the States they have the college system. So the kids yeah. get to go to school and, 
if God forbid anything happens, they have something to fall back on. Whereas I find yeah. that in England and stuff like that, that it never seemed to be a priority. Has that changed? And what was it like for you when you were coming through? I think some some clubs now, clubs generally now, they, they see it as part of their responsibility. So, you know, a lot of a lot of clubs now are taking it on board. Like I said, we do some short courses with um, some of the clubs. Um, so they kind of look at it and say, well, okay, we've, Sometimes now, because of the way how the structure is, they have a relationship with these kids from a very young age. And if that's all they've known, and then at the age of 18, 19, they get rid of them. You know, that kid has been left with broken dreams. So I think there is more of an emphasis now on, you know, what's your plan B? Um, but, you know, and then clubs can now put a lot of, um, they've got a budget to actually address some of these some of these issues, and I think it's good practice. When I was coming through, I mean, I, I didn't get a apprenticeship, and I was actually um, I was actually playing part time um, for Doncaster Rovers. I, I actually wrote down to Doncaster Rovers for a trial, and I was actually going to college um, to study a, a, a business qualification. And things flipped over for me in that I, I started going part-time into the education and I was full-time in football. Now, um, I would say generally in those days, it was, it was down to the individual. You weren't really encouraged. And it's very difficult as well when you're a, a, an, an elite athlete to actually go and, 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 and study and so on. So it's it's turning around for the better now. I feel that's good to hear. Um, so you're synonymous, obviously, with uh, Sheffield United and Leeds. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, both had a defeat on the weekend. Um, so, yeah. so I know. Sorry to rub it in, but like, so, <laughs> hey, neither of them employed me. So hey, I'm just a passive fan now. You know? I'm, a, I'm a mercenary. <laughs> so, but for for Sheffield United, obviously, they did. Great last year, and this yeah. year has been a shit show. What do you think has changed for them? Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy that they've gone from being a mid-table team yeah. last year to being rock bottom. Yeah, so I think um, one of the things that's changed is that teams understand how they play now. Um, and because they understand that, you know, what happens in professional football is you study a t- you study your opponent for three, four games as somebody who will look at the strengths and weaknesses of the team and then they'll look at the strengths and weaknesses of individuals and they'll say, okay, well, maybe he goes forward and he's very good going forward, but he doesn't track back. So the space in behind to exploit, it might be that, you know, you have um, your, your, your defence um, they, they they don't have a lot of pace, but you play a high line and there's, you know, they recognize that there's um there's space in behind to exploit. It might be that some teams are better at being countered than others. I think what's happened is they've they've you know teams have have, have studied them. They're no longer um you know they're no longer something that is new. Um and I don't actually think the recruitment has been what it should have been you know for me when you have a system like that and you have such an advantage you have to evolve that system every year because you have to stay ahead of the curve 
Um, and I feel that the recruitment, if I'm if I'm blunt and totally honest, I don't think that they've recruited the right type of players. I've I've always said that when you're playing at that top level, you have to recruit athletes, technically good. Um, you know, th- those are two non-negotiables for me in the Premier League. Um, and, and I feel that, you know, for, for the amount of money they've spent, for example, on the forward line, I think that perhaps if they'd have recruited further afield, they might have got better value for money. Um, and certainly watching the games, I can see where some players are lacking in confidence. Um, it's just been, it's, it's a number of things. It's, it's difficult. You know, when you actually lose a lot of games by the odd goal, that can be quite crushing to your confidence as well. I think last year they won a lot of games by the odd goals. So, you know, it's the, the, the balance is, um, that's how it is. That's professional football. You know, nobody's looking to do anybody any favours. And um, yeah, it's, it's difficult because people talk about that second season being the one where you really establish yourself. And I feel that, you know, I, I feel that, some of the players have come in and, and they've not been as good as we would expect them to be. And, you know, the, the manager, you know, perhaps there's been, a, there's been performances that have let him down as well, you know. So it's, I think it's a combination of things. Um, but you also, you know, the club came up into the Premier League um, and you do need a lot of money to stay there. And you do need whatever resources you do spend on players, you have to do your due diligence. And um, you know, not having that goal scorer, that young, fresh, you know, that, that person who can do everything has really hurt them. Although, you know, there's, there's things that I see in all the different players that I think, you know, he's got something. You know, if, I, if you look at the forward, Oliver Burke, yeah. I mean, he's... He's a terrific player in terms of he's very quick, he's, he's direct. You know, I'm wondering, does he understand the other side of the game where, you know, coming short to receive it, what kind of problems that's going to cause um, a centre-back or a defensive line, for example? You know, and, and if he does come short, is somebody going in to that space if a defender comes out of it? And have they got the midfield players who can spot that run? You know, it's a, it's a number of things that um, combine. Um, but they, they, the one thing that you have as a forward, if you score goals, you're confident. If you don't, and I've been there myself, so I'm not sat here on my high horse. I'm just saying I understand the dynamic and it's um, it's it's very difficult if you're not scoring goals. You know, you, you live and die on your confidence as a forward. Yeah, I mean, like, like even like with, with Oli Bork, like, like he's been pass around to every club in, in Europe pretty much, God bless them. And I think that's probably part of it too, is that when you're going along somewhere, that club doesn't sign you and then you get pushed off to the next one. That has to affect your confidence. I mean, like... Uh, yeah, but, you know, look, I'm, I'm a little bit old school in that I think you've got to have character. You know, look, he's got something and that's something to work with. He's You know, he has something that is a gift in the, in the Premier League, you know, and it's up to him to attain, you know, all the coaches there to give him that development that is going to turn him into that player, you know. It might be, you know, look, and, and again, I, I've been there, you know, I've been in situations where I've not scored, 
scored for a number of games, it does it does hurt your confidence, but you have to try and find a spark. And that spark might be you go out before the game, you say, right, okay, my my remit is to get five shots on target in this half. You know, it might be just get my first touch right. You know, these are all little tricks that you have to you have to adapt to, otherwise you're dead. You know? So so for, um with, with Leeds and with, with Sheffield United, uh, you just mm. always manage to like come back to them. <laughs> what was it about the clubs that always like kind of drew you back like a magnet to them? Okay, so when I when I um I left Sheffield United, I went to Leeds and um after my four years there, they offered me a contract, but I turned it down because um I didn't I, I was I was disappointed with how the, the with what the offer was and uh I actually felt that, you know, it was a little bit of an insult. Um, so I left. I was going to go to, I had an offer to go to Holland nice. uh, to play for Feyenoord. And um, that would have been on a free transfer. But the uh, I wasn't, I was a little bit suspicious about what was going on with not only my agent, but the agent that he put me in touch with. And this is one of the things that I'm talking about with, you know, there was, it seemed to be a little bit of a carve up at the time. You know, I, they, they, he told me exactly what was being offered. I thought, well, hang on, I'm on a free transfer. And it, I, I just felt as though it was, they were making money. You know, I can't prove it, but I didn't feel comfortable with it. And, um, you know, the, the one thing was, was that for me, it wasn't always about, it wasn't about money. It was about fairness. You know, if you if you sign a contract and the, the, you go you sign that contract and then the next day you realise that it's not as good as you should be, then that's you know that'll kill you off. Um, it's the same in any walk of life. Um, so so I um, Sheffield United had new owners and they they had a they had a project um, which was to get out of the Championship and back into the Premier League and and we had a fantastic team and. They sold it to me. I wanted to go back there as well because it's one of those clubs that it, it just we just gelled. It was like a marriage, and um, you know we we actually um, we got to the point where I signed the contract and I, I I said, look, I'll sign a I'll sign a one I'll sign a one year deal. And the reason why I signed a one year deal was because. I was on the, the contract that they gave me was a good contract for, for that league. And, and I said, look, if we go up, I'll sign another contract, but I didn't want to burden the club um, because it was quite, it was quite a, um, the project was, you know, we, we, we recruited very well, had a very good team. Um, but that went, that went, that was a strange time. I, that myself and Jan Agafiotov, who was the uh, other forward, this decided to sell us on the same day. And I went to Benfica and um, Jan went to Barnsley. So that was... <laughs> what a difference, huh? Yeah, a bit of a difference. But Barnsley were in the Premier League at the time, though. So, 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 um, so then... You know, obviously, my career's going on, and now I always had this kind of affection for um, Sheffield United. I'm actually from Leeds, so you know, my family's here and everything. So that was kind of a little bit about why I've come back to Leeds. You know, I'm always going to come back to Leeds. I, I'm a Yorkshireman, you know, 
But um, the thing with Trafford United, the love that I've always got from the crowd and the, and the fans and the people there has been fantastic. Um, and similarly in Leeds, I've just been, I think when you're from, the, from here, from, when I'm from Leeds, I had to make sure that I tried that much harder because I always had to come back here, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these, these fans can be a little bit vicious. So when I, when I first went to Leeds, uh, you know, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of a tough time in my first year and um, I had to really, at the end of that first year, I kind of, I looked at myself and I said, well, what, what got me to where I was in terms of, you know, I'd played for England under Sheffield United. I'd, I'd scored, you know, I can't remember how many goals I scored. It was quite a lot in that first spell. And I decided I had to go back to basics, uh, you know, and I started doing what I did, which was, I used to go and do extra training, fit, strength and conditioning, fitness, nutrition. I started doing all of those things again by myself. And um, in the second season, you know, the, the, the result was that that helped me to gain my confidence back as well. And I got player of the year and it, it, that was the year we, we qualified for Europe. And it all sort of like culminated in this goal that I scored at Tottenham where I picked up the ball halfway in our own half and I ran three quarters of the length of the pitch and, and smashed the ball past the Ian Walker, who's actually a, come to be a friend of mine. But it, it was, um, I, there's been times where I've had to look at myself and do soul searching and, um, and come up with the answers for myself. Um, so, so that was, that was that. I then, um, I went down, it, you know, I jumped on a few clubs and then I went down to West Ham. Uh, had a had a really good spell down there, really enjoyed it. And then uh, I came back to Leeds and it was when Leeds had got relegated and they were in trouble. And like I said, I still lived in the area and I, I felt it was going to be a good place for me to finish my career. I think I was 35, 36 then. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I quickly realized that I still had a fight. I had still had the fire in my belly and I didn't want to just settle for a place on the bench. So I, you know, I gave everything. Um, I then left Leeds, went to Sunderland on loan and uh, with Mick McCarthy, we got promoted. Nice. nice. Um, yeah. And Mick, Mick's a great guy. Mick was a great manager for me um, just because he was very honest and it was, it contrasted with what I had under at Leeds with Kevin Blackwell. Um, we, we just, you know, long story short, that one, but, and then from there I went out to Australia and that was, um, that was a disaster for me um, because in the back of my mind, I felt that, you know, I, 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 I kind of forgotten that, look, the older you get, the more you have to prepare. And I didn't do a pre-season. I was, I was told that when I got out there, you know, we'll, we'll get you into shape. None of that happened. I went straight into a game and you can't do that when you're 36, 37. So I, I didn't hit the ground running. I was, you know, my, my performances were under par, but I was also playing with players who hadn't played at the level that I was at. And, um, I struggled, I struggled with that as well. Um, I had to settle. Um, so I, I came back early and um, I, I was fortunate to be able to finish my player in career at Sheffield United again in, in that they were actually going up for promotion and um, the owner, Kevin McCabe, um, 
asked me, you know, if if I'd come back, Neil, I had a chat with Neil Warnock and it worked out really well. And it was more to be influential in the um, in the changing rooms than to actually play games. Makes sense. So yeah. it's, it's great that I got to, you know, it kind of almost went full circle for you. But I'm uh, just mm-hmm. talking about like, uh, like uh, Paris and Benfica. Would you have liked to have played abroad more than what you did? Like obviously Benfica, I think you were there for a season maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that was my plan. I mean, when I, when I left, it was, a, I could have stayed at Sheffield United, but I felt that if I hadn't have gone to Benfica, it would have, I'd have always had this, thing in you know why you know I'd, I'd always said that I wanted to go there was a little bit of interest earlier on in my career um, from France and Italy but that never materialized and I thought if I don't go now it's never going to happen um, so yeah the plan was to stay out in Portugal and then perhaps try and earn a move to Spain but that didn't happen and and the reason why that was difficult was because there were a lot of issues at the club with the president there and you know, it's very well documented if, you know, have a read of it and find out. But that affected, um, that affected everything. The, the, you know, the, 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 the uh, president was, uh, he actually ended up going to prison. And, you know, Jeez. we, yeah, we weren't, you know, we, we were in a situation where we weren't getting paid. Um, you know, sometimes they'd pay us, um, and and the thing is, if they don't, if a club doesn't pay for eight weeks, then it means you can go on a free transfer. So sometimes what they do is they pay us on the seventh week. Oh, Jesus Christ! You know, so it was it was just a complete mind. F- yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and not on, and not only that, but you've got seventy thousand fans um, waving white white handkerchiefs if you don't score after twenty five minutes. So. But it was a fantastic experience. I, I played with some of the best players in the world at the time. Nuno Gomez, um, who's a Portuguese legend. Uh, Joao Pinto, Michel Prudhomme. Um, you know, Amaral, who's played for Brazil. Wow. Carol Poborski. Um, so, yeah, I had a, I had a wonderful time there. And, and, and I'm fortunate that the fans, you know, some of them still recognise me and, and, and are fond of the job that I did there. So... Yeah, it, 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 you know, I can't complain about my career. It's a little bit different to most people's in that I've challenged myself at times and wondered why I've challenged. I'm taken up these challenges. There's, there's plenty of times I've ended up in a hotel room and thought, "What am I doing here? <laughs> why have I come?" You know. <laughs> so, so obviously, one of those challenges, I guess, would be your your time in Norway managing. Um, yeah. How, how did that come about? And what if, I mean, you did really well while you were there. Like, did did, mm. did you ever think about getting back into the the dugout as, and being the main man yourself? Well, I did. Yeah, I mean, just you know, the thing was, I went to Norway just to get out of the, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, the, there are a lot of black managers getting jobs, and I decided that I didn't want to make a song and dance about it. I thought, okay, if I can get a job. Uh, do for a cl- with a club abroad. I could go away. I could find out how if I really wanted it or not because you're making sacrifices. Uh, I actually um, through an agent got the Sarpsborg job came up, and uh, I went out there with my assistant, and we did a fantastic job. And um, 
you know, all, all I did was I, I went there with the attitude that I was going to go into the changing rooms with all the managers that I'd ever played under. And I had my own style, um, you know, but I'd, I'd been given a brief by the club. We had the smallest budget. Um, you know, they wanted to play a certain way, but they wanted to be more professional. And these were all things that I knew that I had in my toolbox. And uh, yeah, we had two great years while I was there. There were some issues. I didn't really see eye to eye with the sporting director, um, you know, and, and, and ultimately it was, it was a case of it was me or him. And, um, it, it, you know, these things happen, but, you know, I'd been brought in and my remit was what it was and I didn't want any interference because I would be judged on my performances. So, you know, you have to be strong sometimes. Um, but it's funny because I, I do actually believe that, you know, having a sporting director is the best um, way for a club to retain, um, you know, it, its kind of identity. If you have... Um, if you have different managers coming in and they and they're the ones dictating recruitment, if they're analysis and and everything else, the way how the how, how the club plays, you know that club's going to be like up and down. It's going to be like a roller coaster. You, for me, you have to have um, the, the the recruitment. Um, you know all of the you know the important things need to be club owned and so that club can remain uh, consistent in the way it plays, performs and actually its identity as well. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I get a lot of thanks for establishing that for the club. You know, um, you know, I, I brought on some excellent players and, um, you know, stabilised the club. They're, they're now an established um, Tipperliga club from my two years out there and it, it, it's nice. I've still got some friends out there so and they still say, look, Brian, you're, you're fantastic for us. So I learned a lot about myself as well in that situation. I, um, I learned about managing people, not just in football, but, ma- you know, you know, the dynamic that you have to have. Um, you learn about things like having empathy. These are all things that are business related as well. You know, um, and and I learned a lot from my playing career, which I I kind of instilled, and I tried to manage in, manage individuals that way. You know, like when you uh, you know if you're gonna if you're gonna drop a player, you have to explain to him why. You know, you can't. In my day, we just used to get dropped, and there was no word, and that's the worst thing you can do to a player. So um, yeah, these things are very important, and I. I, I tried to manage how I would have liked to have been managed. That's a that's a great way of uh, of looking on it because, as you said before, like players are are people too, and like you know any yeah. other job in the world, if you're uh, if you're fired or let go, it's kind of nice to know the reason behind it so yeah. you can fix it, right? Um, yeah. So 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 just kind of coming to the end, I know I know you're you're very busy. Um, England, you kind of alluded to earlier on. Um, you have three caps. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that you were unlucky when you came through with the quality of strikers that that England had? Like I mean, Gary Lineker was coming towards the end. Ian Wright yeah. was around. Alan Shearer was about to break through. Do you feel like you just got you just got unlucky? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. The, um, Dave Bassett did an article in the paper here this week and he said that, you know, it was really nice because he said, look, I think Brian was very underrated and, you know, he should have earned more England caps, but we had 
you know, we had Gary Lineker, like you said, we had Alan Shearer coming through, Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand, Robbie Fowler, um, you know, lot, lots of top, top players uh, coming through at the same time. And, and um, you know, I played for a small club and that might have worked against me if I'd have gone and got settled in at a club when, when I was in that era, then that might have been the difference. But it is what it is. You know, you've got to, you've got to accept. And, and I was, I learned a lot in my years of struggle when we, when we, you know, when I was at Sheffield United, we were in a similar position to what the team's in now. And uh, by Christmas, we had four points and we survived. We got, to, we, we finished 12th. And that was because we, there, there were characters in there. We were all part of, uh, we were all the links in a chain, you know, and, and, and it was managed very well. Um, you know, things change, you know, um, money's changed players a lot, you know, in that, in any given situation, because you're remunerating people by the size of, uh, by, by you know, by the size of their wage, sometimes you kind of, it doesn't reflect on um, what they actually know, but money allows people to do that. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make yeah, sense to yeah, you? Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. Um, and and I think now with players, you know, they 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 they're in the stratosphere now with wages. So you wonder how many of them will want to listen to you actually, you know, and take things on. It's a case of well, I don't have to listen to you, you know. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember. I the reason why I suppose I'm so grounded is because I used to I used to collect glasses uh, in a nightclub, and uh, when I was 16 and. Um, I remember it, I, I used to hate it, but I had to do something just, you know, because I was at college and I wanted some spending money. And I remember how people used to treat you as a glass collector. And, and, it, and, and that made me actually want to, um, you know, that made me want to make it even more as a player. And, and similarly, you know, my, my, me and my friends, we used to, uh, when I was at school, we used to clean the garage at the end of our road. And, um, you know, every time the bus used to come down, um, we used to go and hide in the uh, car wash because it was coming from where I used to go to school and <laughs> I didn't want... But, you know, these are all things, these are all character-building traits and, and it makes you realise that you don't want to go back to certain places. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's instilled a mentality in me that, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've made peace with myself to a degree in that um, I, I'm now 50, 52, I'm going to be 53. And all the things that I used to chase and think that were relevant are not as relevant. Health is your wealth. Um, you know, having people around you, you, you can make happy. These are important traits. Um, but I would, you know, if there was an opportunity to go back into a club situation, not as a manager, then I would definitely want to go back in because I think the other thing that's frustrating for me is that I see a lot of people in football who there are some very good people, but I also think there are a lot of people who blag their way all the way through. And um, to some degree, a lot of people are just waiting to get sacked, you know, um, but it's, it is what it is. This is the industry. Um, and, and, and a lot of it is, you know, it's like, you know, people will, you know, that, that people become very good actors, you know, 
just watch the after game interviews on a on a Saturday, and you'll see the managers coming out and saying, "Well, you know, the listen." Your team weren't good enough, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's as simple as that. You know, don't make nonsense excuses. If they're not good enough, they're not good enough. Just be honest with people. I am sick of people trying to pull the wool over the general public, you know? That's 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 awesome. And like you know, you're on the inside and you you've probably seen your fair share of shits, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so just before I let you go, uh, I have to ask you uh, the the goal, the one that was the first one in the Premier League. I'm sure you've talked your whole life about it, but at the time, at the time when it happened, like, did you realize it was going to be so momentous and that you were going to create this juggernaut? <laughs> no, not at all. I, honestly, I was. I mean, the thing for me was that I'd, I'd been used to scoring. I always used to try and score first game of the season because as a forward you used to think right okay how many goals am I going to score this year and getting off to a good start is very important because you had a bit of momentum then a little bit of traction and um, I just thought I saw, you know we, we thought okay we're playing Man United <laughs> you know man for man we didn't stand a chance but playing teams at the beginning of the season when they're sort of like a little bit rusty and so on gives you an advantage and we worked on our set pieces because we knew that if we could compete there might be certain moments where we could take advantage and it just so happened that that happened you know we practiced the um the 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 throw-ins and the corners and the opportunity presented itself so no I, I I you know but I had no idea it was only really when I finished playing that, you know, everybody's like, every year it's like, wow, you scored the first goal. And it's great for me. I'm not going to lie. You know? I, I don't I don't understand how you, you just don't wear a T-shirt the whole time saying I scored it. <laughs> so so, uh, so how can how can people find you on social media and how can they find uh, Phoenix uh, Sport Media as well? So, yeah, it's very simple. I mean, and, and thanks for that, by the way, because it's very important. It's very important in terms of, what we're doing it's a, it's a it's a universal message and there will be people um all over the globe who have come across the kind of um situations where they need the kind of support network that we can actually provide um so we're on instagram uh psm group um you know you'll see myself andy cole Michael Thomas, Rod Wallace, um, was, uh, we're all co-founders from that era. I know it's, there's some real juggernauts there as well, isn't there? You know? Wow. So, I, I, like, yeah. Usually we ask people what their five-a-side team is, but I wasn't yeah. bothered because you play with, like, you, you work with probably the best yeah, five-a-side yeah. team ever. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We also, we're also on LinkedIn, so hook us up. You know what I mean? Yep. Please, if there's anybody out there, have a look at what we provide. And if we could look for partners abroad at some point, maybe, where you are yeah you know we we can you, you know because we what we're actually doing is we're looking to plug the gaps where you know that the things that don't look so glamorous but for us we're all very passionate about them i mean michael thomas is so passionate about making sure that the next generation have a proper chance and and, and are not exploited in any way it, it's you know he's back at liverpool now um, but Michael's overriding thing is the kids, the kids. If you hear him talk, it's all about the kids. Um, you know, Andy, Andy Cole, as you know, is an absolute juggernaut. 
Rod Wallace. You know, everybody's got their things that we're passionate about, you know, but it's about protecting people in the sporting industry. That's what we're about, you know, and 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 retraining and 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 turning people into having second careers. So we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Um, you know, in 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 truth, you know, the the LinkedIn is we, you know, we we we're looking for you know, you know, we want to kind of get the message out there. Want to get the message out on Instagram? We try and have a little bit of fun, and also we have. Um, if you look us up on YouTube, we we st- we we've done. Although we've not done it for a while, but we have um, a series called the Story Behind the Shirt, and that's like you know, have a look. It's re- it's fun. You know, I, I talk about. I remember the time when I, I was playing for Leeds and we had the Coca Cola Cup final, and um, I scored two goals against Everton the week before. And then found out that I wasn't actually going to be playing. Oh God! So I missed the final. We got beat three 0 by Aston Villa. And the funny thing was, was that I was absolutely raging. And um, Rod <laughs> Rod Wallace wasn't. Yeah, Rod Wallace wasn't even in the team, so he got pissed. And every time I went to warm up, he was laughing. He was laughing his head <laughs> off at me. So, <laughs> I tell tell you that story. You know, there's there's some. We got some good characters. Now Quinn's on there. Michael Thomas is. Honestly, you've got to check it out. I'll, I'll definitely. I'll put. I'll put a link. Uh, I'll put yeah. a link on the post. And you also Quinn's have. Uh, you also have a podcast yourself, right? The the PSM podcast. Yeah, that's right. With Richard Lenton. Um, Lives after football, um, well worth a listen again. You know, we're, we're not just, um, you know, people don't realise that we are actual, we've got character and so on and our, our stories are different. And, you know, you can take inspiration from some of the things that we've actually, um, some of our stories, you know, we're not just, we're not pompous, we're not, we're just normal working class people from working class backgrounds, you know, and sometimes we, we're... Um, <clears throat> You know, we're kind of misrepresented in how people think about us. So yeah, um, I, I can definitely tell that you're you're a super nice, super nice guy, and I really appreciate you taking so much time to talk to me. Um, it's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Thank you.